A well-rounded music career in the 21st century requires knowledge of not only music itself, but also social media, networking, navigating family life, finances, and so much more. On today's episode of the show, I focus on the business side of things with Jason Heath, who is a master of building a portfolio career. We discuss secrets for working with ideal clients, share some real horror stories that are hard to believe but actually happened, what it was like getting started, and how to decide when it's time to, quote, blow up your career, as Jason says, and completely change gears and try something new. Jason was also the feature guest on episode 122, 46, and 52 of the podcast, so if you enjoyed today's conversation, check out the website at clarinet.com. There's plenty more to listen to. Of course, there's even more to listen to at Jason's own podcast, which you can find at ContrabassConversations.com. He has nearly 700 episodes now about everything double bass, and his show gets almost a million downloads a year. Definitely worth checking out. I'm your host, Sean Perrin, and you're listening to the Clarinet Podcast at Clarinet.com, the show about all that's new and neat with clarinet, with the neatest people in the industry. It's Black Friday weekend right now, so if you're listening to this episode between November 29th and December 2nd, 2019, head on over to the merch store on the website, clarinet.com, and enjoy 20% off any t-shirt, sweatshirt, or hoodie. So it's a great chance to stock up, keep warm this winter, or grab a t-shirt for a clarin nerdy friend of yours. If you'd like to get access to today's episode and dozens of others in extended ad-free format, head on over to the members section of the website for as little as $1 per month. Also, I've got a mystery box here that was sent to me by Bakun, and I'm going to be opening it up when I hit 2,500 subscribers on YouTube. If you want to see the unveiling, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Thank you so much for listening, and today's episode was brought to you by the generous support of the following sponsors. Have you wanted to try Daddario Reads but weren't quite sure which to choose? Here's how to decide. Reserve Reads come in a white and blue box. They feature a traditional blank and are perfect for those who want to focus sound with the quickest response possible. Reserve Classic Reads come in a white and purple box. They feature a thicker blank that provides an expanded tonal color palette, clarity of articulation, and added flexibility. And the new Reserve Evolution Reads come in a white and yellow box. They feature our thickest blank and have a heavy spine for added projection and exceptional tonal depth, warmth, and flexibility. You'll have to try it to believe it. Try Reserve Reads now at your local music store, or head to clarinet.com reads to buy a box right now. Encoda is a new app that lets you stream, practice, and perform tens of thousands of music scores. It's kind of like Netflix, but for music. Get a free trial today. Just search for Encoda on your device's app store. That's Encoda, N-K-O-D-A. Take your clarinet to the next level with a new mouthpiece, barrel, or bell from Bakun Musical Services. With free shipping to the United States and Canada, 14-day easy returns, and expert advice, you can be sure that you're making the best choice for your musical needs. After all, the best time to upgrade your clarinet was yesterday, but the second best time is today. Use code CLARINET at bakunmusical.com and save 10% on your next accessory purchase. That's code CLARINET at bakunmusical.com. So I'm back again today with Jason Heath. Jason, welcome back on the podcast. Good to be here. Love the show. Thanks for having me back. We got to do this again every couple of years and sort of uh, check in with what we're up to. Maybe even sooner than a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if you're just listening and you've, you're new to uh, Jason Heath and his work, he's the host of Contrabass Conversations. And also you'll want to check out, I think this will be now the fourth episode of him coming on the Clarinet Podcast. He's got a book you can check out on Amazon. He is the real deal as far as like online content. And I think you're probably the oldest or one of the oldest music podcasts out there. So you've been going at it for 
a long time too. So hopefully for a long time more. 12 years and counting. So your podcast is almost a teenager. It's going to be a bit unruly soon. I know. Exactly. Look out world. You can almost take it for a beer. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I wanted to have you back on because for a long time, and I I do hope to touch on this topic with more guests. That's one of the great things about podcasting is that you no two conversations are alike. I, I feel like I could have um, this same topic conversation with with every person who's ever been on it and get great insight and, and interesting um, information. But today I want to talk a bit about financial wellness for musicians and kind of being entrepreneurial and building a portfolio career. And I feel like these are things which you've not only successfully done, but also successfully blogged about um, and, and talked about on your show extensively. So um, just to start off, like what are the areas of your life right now if it was like branches on a tree that contribute to your sort of musical um, well-being from a financial perspective, as much as you're comfortable sharing. <laughs> oh yeah, no, for sure. No, I'll share it, share it all. And I actually thought for a while it would be fun to like go, uh, go along with ha- kind of document my journey to San Francisco and just kind of like share how every month was going and how things were going financially into Because I sort of took a risk moving out here. We all take risks in our life, but I had this really healthy career built up in Chicago. I was, I, and the uh, elder symphony, a regional orchestra that I was in that orchestra for 16 years. That was probably about 12 weeks of work, eight to 12 weeks of work, depending on the season, a really, really solid orchestra. I also was subbing in the Lyric Opera of Chicago, Grant Park Symphony, playing a lot of gigs there. I was also a teaching high school orchestra full-time at what is arguably the best program in Illinois or one of the best programs in Illinois, certainly uh, great pay, great benefits, great area. And then I was also teaching teaching at DePaul University part-time and also uh, conducting the uh, occasionally guest conducting the Chicago youth symphony rehearsals and, and Midwest young artist rehearsals and the conducting career was blossoming. And then my wife got a job in San Francisco and I thought, Oh, uh, I don't know if I want, you know, I was sort of happy with my life in Chicago. I'm a Midwesterner and I was, I didn't really have to think about finances, but I mean, I just had money appeared in the account. Everything was good. We were saving and I, but all that work was tied to Chicago right? It was all playing. It was all teaching. It was in this one place. Well, okay, move out here. I start looking for teaching jobs. There weren't any out here. Okay. I I'd been in Chicago 23 years. I'm moving to a new area, the Bay area, San Francisco. There's no shortage of bass players here. Lots of people, they they don't, nobody's looking for another bass player to play a bunch of freelance gigs. Mm. Uh, So I thought, well, what should I do? And I had had this podcast for, for a while. I started this thing in 2007. Uh, This is 2015. We're thinking about this and it had been popular. I knew it had been popular, but I was thinking, what do I want to do when I moved to San Francisco? Do I want to just kind of rebuild the same career as I, had in Chicago, uh, which was a playing and teaching career. Nothing wrong with that. That's a very standard career, right? I think, I think yeah. most people have some mix of that and I still have a little bit of a mix of that, but I'll get to, get to what, I, how that's changed. I decided that I decided to take a risk and just pretend the podcast was my job and, and just have faith that opportunities would develop out of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I, 
I, so I, I decided let's, I wasn't finding a teaching job out in San Francisco. There was no guarantee of playing. And then I thought, well, what do I do? The, those are the only skills I have. Um, what am I going to do? Like walk dogs while well, I'm scared of big dogs. <laughs> so that's not going to work. Uh, I could drive for Uber or Lyft, but I did. I actually had a Honda element and they don't allow you to drive for Uber or Lyft with that car because of the doors. So I thought, well, I can't oh, even weird. drive for, yeah, I know. So, so I thought, well, I am, I'm overqualified and there are no opportunities that I can really see clearly, but I have this podcast. So I just, while I was still back in Chicago, every night and I was living apart from my wife at this time. So it was like a rough year. She had already moved out to San Francisco. I did the math and I realized we couldn't pay our bills just on what she was making. So I had to do something. So I stayed in Chicago, was miserable. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to move to San Francisco and we'll figure it out. But I, I, I knew I was going to be on you know, lose my jobs, uh, moving out there. So I just started pouring all my nights and weekends into the podcast. I rebooted it. I started doing get interviews, uh, not a hint of monetization in sight, just getting it going. I had done it. And then it had been five years since I'd really put out any episodes. So it was just like this thing hanging listless on a tree, you know, for years. And, and I got it going and all of a sudden the numbers started to go up. I was looking in my Libsyn, the company I used to host. I was looking at the statistics and I was seeing all these, all these people were listening. I thought, well, they're surely I can leverage that somehow. Um, and, and I, but I thought, let's just move to San Francisco and let's not try to get advertisers back yet or anything. Let's just try to like show that I'm around again. Cause I didn't want to like, you know, I had this weird five year gap and then I put out three episodes and I start asking for ads. I thought, eh, that's not, uh, but I thought surely I can monetize this podcast enough to support myself. You know, mm -hmm. if I have this big an audience and, and my career has turned into a, a very common podcaster career. It's a, because of my podcast career, I have all these opportunities that have developed as a result of having the podcast. And I'll bet you've kind of found yourself in that boat too, right? Well, it's interesting. Yeah. Cause people, um, they don't necessarily just see me as Sean anymore. It's like, Oh, that's the clarinet guy or something like that. And, uh, yeah. it's been kind of interesting because I even didn't really think of myself that way. The podcast has felt like something that I'm just kind of doing and, and, uh, but it's really grown as, as a brand and something people are interested in. And, and it, it gives you a bit of, um, I guess sort of notoriety if that's the right word. Mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is very hard to come across. I mean, it's, if I wanted to just build that by being a clarinet teacher and, and be, you know, build an international presence or something just by teaching lessons, it would be almost impossible. You'd have to, yeah. like, I don't even know what you do cause I haven't walked that path, but you'd have to be someone like Cal Opperman who has, you know, he's resonated through the generations <laughs> as a teacher or something like that. It would, it would be so different. And I think that those people who are able to um, leverage not necessarily to the extent even, but even a little bit of kind of new media and the way the world works these days, I think that they're definitely putting themselves in a, in a good position for other opportunities, um, even if it's not to the same scale, if that makes any sense. Oh yeah, for sure. And I just realized I didn't even answer your question. I, I told you my long, long backstory. To get to San Francisco. But <laughs> well, let, it's let me part of it forward. though, because that's your creativity that's led to this sort of tree of opportunity that you've really sown for yourself, right? 
Right, right. So actually, maybe a good, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what I'm doing right now. And then we can f- talk about how, how I got there or how people can get there. So like what my, my suite of activities, uh, which is a phrase I probably use too much, but I like, everybody's got a suite of activities. Even if you're in the San Francisco symphony, you do that and you teach privately or whatever. So the bulk of my income these days and just the work I do comes from Eastman strings. I'm their product manager for bass. And that involves uh, everything from, uh, designing new products to, artist relations to, uh, scheduling out, uh, you know, business plans for, uh, tracking numbers and sales and where do we go from here and who do we connect with and who do we partner with? And it's a really interesting job. I, I, I sort of fell into that. Um, and my podcast definitely helped, but a lot of that is a, a result of connections I built in Chicago while I was teaching orchestra. So these are, you know, sometimes we have things that we do and it's years later that they sort of come to fruition. I never thought I, I bought, but I bought their instruments back when I was an orchestra teacher and always liked the instruments. And so, uh, fast forward and I do that. So that, and then probably the next biggest chunk of my career is, is events getting, getting, uh, whether that's a clinician coming and doing a teacher in service event or going to, uh, work at a base camp or going to cover an event. And it's varies year by year. I've been hired to cover solo competitions, uh, and, uh, all kinds of events. And so then that's, that's another piece of the pie. And then uh, I've been hired to just as a consultant in general for many, uh, one-off and ongoing projects, uh, book launches, uh, and, 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 uh, uh, actually several book launches I've done. And whether that's getting the social media built up for them or just general strategy or partnering with them through my podcast and email list and that kind of thing. And then another chunk that has been surprising is uh donations of things I give away for, for zero plus dollars. So I have, for example, a technique book that Mm. I put out and, and it has uh, generated quite a bit of revenue for me and it's free, but give what you want if you want. And that, and that I never thought that that would be a big chunk of what I do, but that, uh, and let's just say that an affiliate revenue in general is a piece of the pie because I have some things that have done very well online. And, um, and I I have, when you Google strings, I I haven't checked it recently, but some of the things I've written that contain affiliate links, uh, come up. So a a decent chunk of my revenue actually is affiliate, uh, money from things I've, I've, I've done in the past. Um, so just to fill in for those listeners who maybe aren't sure (laughs) affiliate (laughs) revenue, like, so we're we're talking about a lot of stuff that we're really familiar with because we're into the podcasting and the website making and all this, Mm -hmm. all these things. But if you're just getting started with like, well, where do I begin online? Um, affiliate links are probably a tough place to begin, but as you grow, they're going to be a thing that becomes part of what you do. So basically what that is in the most basic sense is like, if I talk about a book on Amazon, I just include a link. And if you click that link and you buy the book on Amazon, you get a commission. So, and that's just a, if you scale this up, it can actually be quite successful as a revenue stream. Um, and there's all sorts of different ways you can imagine this to work. Um, you just have to kind of get creative and you don't need a really big website to make it work either. You just need a, a good niche with something people are interested in and a product that's going to resonate with those people that they're actually going to buy. And then you just get a kickback. So, um, what I like about affiliate revenue as a job or as an income source, I mean, is a job is tied to time and affiliate revenue is not. So like right now, 
I could make a small amount of money off of something I talked about three years ago and I don't have to put in any more time. So my investment in that moment is theoretically infinite, although it, it won't be, but <laughs> it, it would be. But what I mean is that, you know, you go to a job, let's say you work at Starbucks, you make your 10 bucks an hour. It's not like three years from now, you're going to get another little bit of tip from that hour that someone was happy with. That's never going to happen. But affiliate revenue, maybe you didn't make any money, but over 10 years, that link made you $50. So your one hour is worth $50 if you look at it that way. So that's kind of how affiliate revenue works. If that, if that's a good explanation, I'm not sure, but that, that that's a great explanation. Yeah, no, it's a wonderful explanation. And it's something I never, I never, uh, uh, thought that it would amount to much, but, but I've written almost 4,000 blog posts, uh, over the years. And, and many of those come up at the top of the search results or near the top for, for whatever that time. I never did it really intentionally, um, which is probably a good way to do things, but it's, it sort of resulted that. And then the, the last piece of the pie uh, financially is I, I do play some and and play. I was just playing the San Francisco Symphony last week and I, I play in a chamber orchestra in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, go down there occasionally, do the other occasional gig. But that, this, that I have, this is the least amount of playing I've ever done in my life is right now. And mm-hmm. then at, at events I go to, I, I frequently play, you know, some chamber music or maybe some solo stuff. And then, and then finally teaching, which is the smallest piece of the pie for me these days it used to be the biggest, <laughs> but now it's, uh, it's, uh, I, I have a couple of private students. I go into a school, um, and then I've had many, many projects in these, even these four years since I've hung out my own shingle that have, that have, uh, worked or sputtered out and died. And I've gone in all sorts of different, dr- different directions and wasted, I don't know if wasted is the right word, but <laughs> hundreds of hours pursuing something that, that nothing financially came of it. So I'm sort of figuring this out myself, but I, I kind of have that clinician consultant, uh, business side of things career. That's most of, that's where most of my income comes. People might, especially people listening to podcasts might say, where's the podcast in that list? Well, I've decided to make the podcast its own self-generating thing. So any revenue coming from that just goes right back into the podcast. I love that. And you know, I, I love this mentality of the sort of the pie too, because one thing about a pie is that you can always make the pie bigger and it's, but it's always, you know, still a a circle. It's always complete. Right. So, but if you only have one piece, it's going to be kind of a very small circle. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so one thing that I've realized too, is that some of these revenue streams that I have, for example, I've got like for the podcast, there's Patreon, um, even myself. I mean, I do some teaching, I do some playing, I do some advertising on the podcast. I sell merchandise. I have Patreon. There's some affiliate programs. Um, there's, you know, if I really think about it, oh, there's some YouTube ads, whatever. There's like seven or eight or maybe 10 different little revenue streams, but little revenue streams times 10 add up to something reasonable. And so you can live a life on that. And so if you are trying to, to produce, uh, anything really, if you're just trying to have a career in music, it's, you probably can't live off of just teaching. You probably can't live off of just playing, but maybe playing and teaching and doing some talking and traveling. And, and, you know, if you think of five different things you can sort of put together into a career, all of a sudden you, you can live a reasonable life as a musician, but any one of those maybe can't support on its own. Right. Right. And that's what our mutual friend Garrett Hope has titled his podcast, Portfolio Composer, A Portfolio Career. And if you look at the history of music, what we're talking about is what musicians have done uh, for generations. <laughs> yeah, forever. And it's what not people outside of the world of music think of it as the gig economy. It's something that, that, that is happening more and more, uh, across the spec, across the board, uh, professionally speaking. So, uh, everybody's sort of adopting the traditional music lifestyle, whether they want to or not. 
So it's interesting, and I want your thoughts on this just to kind of, uh, I don't know, stir the pot a little bit. But soon I'm going to be having a guest on called Stephen P. Brown, who I've talked to before. We actually had a great conversation. Um, I can't remember the episode, but you can check it out on on Clarnate.com if you're interested. Um, he talks, he's kind of of the opposite mindset, where he believes that musicians, if they push in the right direction, can build a performance career that's entirely of performing, and that this portfolio mentality is kind of a little bit of a compensation or something like that. So how, how do you feel about about trying to sort of, if you picked one of those pie pieces, trying to turn that into the whole piece of the pie? Do you think that's possible or only in rare cases? Oh, I, th- I think it's certainly, I think it's certainly possible. Um, and, and, you know, you can take an, uh, I think taking an entrepreneurial uh, abundance mindset in general, uh, you know, is that that's the most important thing rather than exactly how your pie is made up. If you do decide to do that and get really creative with how you can build that career, I, you certainly, I, I, Adam Ben Ezra is a bass player who writes his own music. He filmed all these like super cool YouTube videos and continues to, and he has a career going around the world, touring the world, playing his own music, solo double bass or bass in somebody else. I mean, he's built the, I, I have, I, I've seen so many, uh, I could think of a, uh, probably a dozen examples off the top of my head of people that have built their own thing. So if you, if you're open-minded, uh, the, the, the sky's the limit, uh, the, the classical crossover genre, the, there are many bands, simply three is another band that I like. Nick Villalobos has been on the podcast several times and they just, they're in Phoenix, Arizona. They, they were friends. They said, Hey, let's just do covers, uh, and play on these groovy instruments. And they tour the world, these big light shows, playing, playing covers on cello, bass and violin, you know? So I think that there's, you can certainly, you don't need to, um, invent your own, uh, uh, app or, or create your own special barrel that you're selling or, or what have you. Um, but I do think if you, it's, increasingly ever more challenging trying to land like a full-time symphonic job, for example, that is a challenge. I don't, I don't think I've thought about this so much, Sean, over the years um, (laughs) that there's, there's, I don't think we all need to be Jack of Jacks of all trades. And I don't think that it necessarily benefits, uh, everybody to just like learn a million skills that you're gonna You might end up using all those skills, but I think there's a beauty to, I don't think you need to maybe pay a hundred thousand a year dollars a year to do this, but I think there's a beauty in just going all in on something and just developing an Olympia Olympic Olympian style level of skill in something. I think that that's something that will translate over to other aspects of your life. So, um, I, even if it's almost impossible just statistics wise to get a job in something like the San Francisco, symphony or the New York Philharmonic. I don't think that you're necessarily doing yourself a disservice by training with intensity and really getting excellent at something. So that's, that's sort of my, my conundrum. And I, I get asked to do talks on entrepreneurship and I have done that and I'm doing some in the future. And I really struggle with, with what, uh, with, with that. 
I don't know. Well, it, you- it is true. Like I feel the same way sometimes. Like every hour I spend podcasting or watching Netflix is an hour I'm not getting better at the clarinet when someone else is practicing. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, and I think that that's kind of Steven's point is that, you know, you want to become this sort of super niche of your performance and, and charge what you're worth and all these things and and uh, grow that piece of the pie. The Grow the piece of the pie you want to grow, <laughs> um, which is kind of that point. But I look forward to talking with him more about that later. But um, I definitely feel the same way, though, in the sense of trying to find what is my kind of thing that I want to be doing. And we talked about in the last episode about this, but there's kind of a mix. Like I need a little bit of teaching, a little bit of playing, uh, you know, some podcasting, my normal work. I also work um, running online sales and marketing for for Bakun, which is a clarinet manufacturer. And um, this combination of skills and activities for me leads to a very fulfilling life. But any one of those, I don't think would. Like I can't just do the podcast. I can't just play. I can't, I, I need to have that for me. And, but I understand that not everybody works that way. Some people are totally happy getting up in the morning, going to their symphony gig and then coming home. And that's and good fa- for them. Oh yeah. There are phases in your life too. Like yeah. I re- rewind six years and I was teaching high school orchestra full time. I was doing all this youth orchestra coaching. I loved it. It was great. I was yeah. tired. I did not have any time, <laughs> not a lot of writing or podcasting those, those years, but I was, I, I loved it. And I, I, I think that one thing that's been really interesting uh, these last few years is going to the NAM show, the National Association of Music Manufacturers, this show in Anaheim, California. Over 100,000 people go to it. It's an industry event. And if you want to realize how much possibility there is in the music world, go to that event uh, yeah. because it is it's phenomenal all the thing, all that's going on in music. And what, what's particularly cool about that show for someone with a classical music background like me is things pertaining to classical music are maybe 1% at that show, if yeah. that. And all these people that, that are thriving in the music business or prosper or making a career of it, you know, at, at the very least, they're doing things that don't even have anything to do really with what I was trained on. Yeah. And so like, like I, don't, I didn't even know what I didn't know. So there is a lot. And so I do think chasing your fascinations, if you can do that without going hundreds of thousands of dollars into debt, that would be, that would be the way to do it. But, (laughs) but, um, and just really finding what you, what you wake up in the first thing in the morning obsessed about and, and just going all in on, I do think that, that if you can, if you can find something you feel like that about opportunities will present themselves and you, and like Steven uh, Brown, who by the way is going to be on my podcast too, oh, too oh, nice. coincidentally. Yeah. Um, talking about, I, it might be performing and just, just doubling down and going all in on that. And if it doesn't work out, I did that for years. I took, I think almost 30 or maybe over 30 professional auditions. I wasted, you know, like I don't even want to think about how much money I spent on that and time and gigs I didn't take and I didn't get anywhere, but maybe I did get somewhere because maybe I learned things along that path and I, I'm happy where I am now. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And maybe I had to do all that and go through all that to end up here. I've like felt like I've blown up my career several times and, and started over. And I think that's, that's the way it is for so many people. Yeah, you know, I think it's it's true. I mean, I, I looked back too and was thinking one time, like, that's so weird. I did a music degree because I ended up doing like all this online stuff and and interest in in all sorts of things. And and um, it's uh, it would have seemed like I should have done or did do something else sometimes. Like, yeah, it's my interests where they lie. But but everything has added so much to my experience and and path that I'm not sure I'd really change all that much going back. 
Um, but, you know, one of the things I, I love about uh, people who have done the freelancing kind of gig mentality, though, is is they seem to be in two camps, <laughs> though, or three camps, maybe. Those who are just starting out and they're kind of getting the ropes. And that's one thing I kind of want to help with next is anyone who's thinking about doing this gig economy. Like, how do you <laughs> how do you find your way a little easier maybe than we did? Um, and second, there's people who are in it doing it. And then third, there's people that used it to leverage themselves to move on or either gave up and now are doing something else. But people who are no longer doing that, but did, <laughs> right? So I definitely went through all three phases. I started out like really struggling and I started out teaching. I have a funny story, actually. I was teaching um, a lot of in-home music lessons. When I, when I first graduated, I needed to make money and I needed to make enough money to not only feel like I could pay for my apartment, but I wanted to do normal things like have a car and go out with my girlfriend for dinner. Like these didn't seem to me to be things that should be out of reach for a musician, even if I was a musician. And I know a lot of people in music, they just feel like they, they can't make ends meet. I didn't want to be like that. I just, I don't know. I guess that's why one of the reasons I worked so hard, but, but, um, so I had like 30 or 40 in-home lessons a week that I was doing and I wasn't charging appropriately. I think uh, for my city, it was too low, but it was like 50 bucks or something for the lesson. But when you, when you actually add all the math together, it was a lot of time and investment with gas. And we'll talk about expenses in a minute, but I remember talking with someone, he's like, Oh no, you really should be charging more than that. You should be charging like 70 or $80 to, to meet expenses. And, uh, he wasn't entirely wrong. And, uh, but also I said to him, well, how many students do you have? And he said, oh, zero. <laughs> I said, well, ah! I'd sure rather make, you know, 50 times 30 a week than zero <laughs> and charge, mm -hmm. you know, it's better to charge, you know, more appropriately what you can get or what you're worth than it is to charge an absurd number that you're never going to have any clients. Right. So, so I know that these, these numbers are tough because it's so different for every, every region and community and us dollars versus Canadian dollars and whatever. But, um, but I think that it was kind of a valuable lesson. Like you, you, you need to set, he, he wasn't wrong. You need to set a price that's appropriate for your expenses and deductions and things, but, but you also can't charge so high that no one will hire you because that won't be a very wonderful position to be in either. So, so um, yeah, I guess that's the story, but I guess what I was interested in kind of is like, what are your tips for being in that first stage of someone who's looking for the gigs and trying to calculate not just what they're worth, but what they can get and how they can make a living as a musician. Yeah. First you got to You got to have getting to that first stage, you know, so you got to get to the point where you have enough to pay the bills. Right. Or, yeah. or what, and for some people that is getting, getting a day job or a part-time job working at Starbucks or, or a job like that and starting to build, um, for other people, it's, it's really just going all in on the teaching thing or maybe some gigs break your way. Yeah. You want to get to the point where you're, you have, enough that you can be turning things down. And so, uh, Seth Haynes, I believe the book is called break into the scene. Also, Emilio Gorino wrote this great book called make it. Oh, I mixed um, those either, up on the last episode for sure. I think, yeah. I, th I think those are the, um, those, and then one more book, uh, Angela Beeching's beyond talent is like, th those, those books are fantastic. And Seth's, what I love about Seth's book is he actually has email scripts. You can actually like just copy the email script plug in the name. And if you just follow his advice, you're going to, you're going to start to get some things on the plate. And it's also a good way for, um, just, it's, it's like a good, it's just a good way to, to get going. So that I would recommend any of those books, but I love Seth's. We both had Seth on the podcast. Um, and, and Seth is an example of someone who's now used it to leverage into the third category I was talking about. He's no longer doing the freelance 
ironically, even though he's kind of the master of teaching someone how to how to build a freelance career, he was able to leverage that into something a lot bigger. I'm not sure what he's doing now, but he's doing quite well for himself and he's happy with that. He's also uh, assisted with other book launches and things. I mean, he was able to really do a good job hitting the podcast circuit, um, leveraging his book to like, I think it was number one on the, the you know, the, the categories that he was in on Amazon. And yeah. um, it is a great read that I, I recommend. You know, it's funny, Angela Beeching, um, you're like the 40th person to recommend her book. And I, I have to read it. But a couple weeks ago, she actually contacted me and said that she wanted to come on the show and she's she's listened to something for a while. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. This is, that's just really neat. So I'm going to have well, her on finally to talk about her book. Uh, people listening to our podcast, they're going to be hearing the same guest because I have her coming up now. Oh too. my so, God. So, let's just combine so they, them into clarinet let's just, conversations. Let's just, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Yeah. Well, it got, it got me, I, it's a book that's been on my to read list. And that's another thing. This is the topic from last episode, but that's another great thing about the podcast is it forces me to like read people's books finally that I've been meaning to. Yeah. Um, so, so I read that, and it's, it's a wonderful book. It's, it is, it, it checks all the boxes of what you need to be doing uh, down to like managing performance anxiety. I mean, hers is like that. It's like a college course. And what I love about Seth's is it's, it's like, boom, got it done. Go use this. You, um, and then uh, Amelia's, I haven't read Amelia's book in a while, but he's a, another very entrepreneurial person. He launched even a special kind of end pin for the base, yeah. did a, a, a Kickstarter. I believe it was a Kickstarter for that. Um, that didn't work out, but then somebody else approached him and they, and they, they ended up making this thing happen. Um, so yeah, getting that, once you're in that category, I, the, the one that's, I, I don't think it's actually that hard. I mean, that's an easy thing for me to say, but I, I, I think it might not be as hard as people imagine getting into that first category or getting from that first category to the second category to where you have stuff on the plate. You have Your to have resilience though. If you don't yeah, have that yeah. or grit, people used to call it. I mean, you need to be okay hearing know a lot. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's just a long process. Like, yeah. like, like when I moved here to San Francisco, nobody was asking for yet another double bassist in San Francisco, but over time things, and, and though I'm spending the bulk of my time doing, uh, not playing and teaching, my name has gotten out, you know, and I get more and more calls. I generally don't, don't do those, but, but it, you know, I just, it took time even in Chicago, even though I lived there, once I started actually working, to the the second year was easier than the first and the third was easier than the second. So it does take time. You're probably going to have to do things that you don't love, but I think saying yes to everything uh, is probably the best move when you have nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then it's better to have too much and then kind of figure out uh, there's going to be some churn and some chaos, but you'll eventually, if you, if you, Focus on just doing a good job at what you're doing and showing up and being a good person, teaching the student well, being at the gig early, playing well. That's going to, that's going to, that's going to, you're going to, you know, write your own ticket. And then all these other opportunities that we're talking about and things that can develop. I think once you're in the industry, you're in the business, then that that's a great time to start uh, branching out and seeing if you can find some other ways to generate, generate some revenue. Well, it's so funny you say that, the whole yes man thing, because that's what I originally thought. I quit my job. It was about 2009 or 10. I just graduated, been out for a year, and I was working at a computer store. And it was, you know, I was doing well at it. Actually, to be honest, I did like the job, but I knew that it's not where I wanted to be um, long term. And I just decided like, I wanted to be a yes man in the music industry. I wanted to be able to say yes to everything someone called me for. 
and try and fill my schedule that way. Well, the funny thing about it is it took a couple of years, but then I wanted to be, I changed my goal to be a no man. <laughs> I wanted to be able to say no to whatever I wanted because my schedule was already full or had stuff in it or I, the stuff I wanted to do. We talked about the three corners last time um, of the triangle, basically trying to fulfill either money, uh, satisfaction or career goals. Um, and that has worked. You start off needing all these opportunities. You have to say yes to everything, but then you you have to filter what, where it is you want to go and set kind of your your trajectory, right? And one of the best quotes I heard in that time was, uh, you are what you're becoming. And I think that that's really good for a lot of students, especially or younger players, because like you're not that yet, but if you continue down the path, that's what you'll be. So yeah. don't worry so much, you know? And I wish that I had kind of realized that earlier because I spent a lot of time. And when you're younger too, like when I was 21 or 20, a year is is a lot more time than it is now than yeah. I'm in my 30s. It's like a year is like a reasonable. I'm like, oh, that's a year from now. Man, I better get started. Or or um, but a year used to be like an eternity away. Yeah. And and now it's like, oh, this this goal might take a couple years to achieve. That's fine. You have to be able to accept the fact that things take time. I think that's an important. I agree. Yeah. I, I wish I hadn't spent so much time worrying. I was definitely, and, and especially with, there's an unpredictability to doing anything freelance. Um, and, and, but after I did it for several years, I realized, oh, even though the, the, the ratios are different every year. I, I pay all my bills, everything works out and there are busier times and less busy times. Um, for my personality, I really did enjoy that, that those seven years when I had a full-time job and it was like magic, the bank account money just appeared. I was like, <laughs> what, what, what I do to earn that? You know, cause I was so used to like doing a thing and getting paid for that exact thing I just did. Right. Yeah. I just taught that student. Here's some money for that moment. I just played this gig. Here's my money for this week. And so it was really weird to go on salary. Um, but 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 there are advantages and disadvantages. And so I, I had about seven, eight years of just freelancing, about seven years of full time. And now I've been I'm back in, you know, working for myself and working as a consultant and everything. And and the the big disadvantage to full time is just your 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 time is is, you know, claimed full-time. by yeah. an entity. <laughs> yeah. And so I I, I've realized what I, I, I realized I took that flexibility for granted when I was freelancing yeah. the first time around. So now I, I treat what I'm doing a little more like a job and try to, but I skip, but I, and, and that is a challenge when you're, when the nice thing about the teaching and playing, uh, paths is that it's particularly the playing path is that you just kind of show up and it happens, right? Yeah. You don't, I, I spend a lot of my time kind of thinking about what to do next or thinking about how do I want to spend my time this day? That seems like a luxury, but when you're in it, it's actually really hard because you're like, Oh, I'm creative at this time. So I have to do this project at that time and not get on Facebook because I'm going to like burn that time. And I've only got like a, a little bit of it. Yeah. So yeah, th- th- those are the challenges with the, with the portfolio career. Well, and me. I think through those years too, like the beginning years and I freelanced basically exclusively for almost 10 years. So as a side note, getting a, a full-time job um, for me has been very strange too. At first I was like, wait a minute, I don't have to invoice for for every hour that I've worked and and like the paycheck just goes in my bank account every two weeks. That's, what is this magic? You know, <laughs> it was really weird. Um, but uh, you know, if that's what you decide you want. And for me, I was tired of freelancing. 10 years for me was a long time and it was time to try something else and everything just has worked out. I'm pretty happy with the way that all that's gone. But, but I remember at the beginning, um, there was a really good book I read and I think that people need to do more reading outside of the music genre to get good at music 
business, ironically. Like there's this book called Book Yourself Solid. And he talks about how to, have you read this? I've heard of the book, but I'm writing it down. So I read it. Yeah. So read the audiobook because he's actually a professional speaker now based on his own experience, what he's done. And the way he reads the book is just great. Uh, his name is Michael Port, but um, some of it seems a little gimmicky at first. And you're kind of like, okay, it's a bit wishy-washy. It's kinda, But you apply some of these things to what you're doing and it's brilliant. Like one of his concepts is every year, if you want to advance your career, if you don't want to advance your career in your, your consultancy firm, which, you know, is your music lessons firm or whatever you want to call it, look at it that way. You should look at it that way. They're your clients, not, not your students. They're both <laughs> They're your clients yeah. and your students. But, but he would say every year, doesn't matter how hard it is, trim the bottom 10%. The people you like working with the least, um, the people who are your most difficult, the people who suck your time, the people who don't respect your time, even if it's like, it's hard to make the decision, still do it because you're opening room up at the top to get what he would call ideal clients. So the people you work with 10 years from now, you don't want them necessarily to be the same ones you were happy with working yesterday. You've got to always grow and expand and find your best clients. And, and the way he would describe it is people who love to work with you are going to talk to people and suggest more people like themselves who you'll probably love working with. And if you let people stick around who maybe maybe it's like 90% good, even that little 10%, it's like a weed in a garden. It's going to slowly going to overtake your whole garden if you don't do anything about it. You have to get rid of it as hard as it is because, um, and I, I I did this. I would look at my students every year for a while and like, I wouldn't just, you know, fire them. I wasn't quite as diligent as that, but it was like, you know, I'd, I'd maybe raise my rates or change my policy a bit in a way that I knew these people would kind of filter themselves out. And, yeah. and uh, it worked really, really well. And I started working with more people who I wanted to work with. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's a strategy that worked for me. So it, no, it's a great, it's a great strategy. And I think you can apply that to gigs too. I, every time I noticed this, uh, especially when I was playing so much more that first time I was freelancing, uh, every time I let a gig go, like a, like I was principal base of this community orchestra and I just hated it. I, ha- <laughs> I hated the heck out of it. It was like the, my worst day of the, of the week, but I, the money they paid, I, I, I was living so cheap in terms of rent and stuff. Like yeah. I had that, I had that gig and then I taught some lessons that day. And I realized that that, if I just, did that and nothing else I could pay my bills. And so then I'm like, Oh, I don't know if I can lose the three grand a year or whatever it was that that thing paid. <laughs> and I, I made so much more than three grand ditching that gig. Cause it opened yeah. up my Mondays for so many other things and it was all better. And so both students, that's a great thing to do with students. Oh my goodness. Um, but also, uh, I let, the, I had this, I had this for seven years, I had this regional orchestra gig, uh, that I won't name cause I don't probably nobody's listening to it, but I got rid of that. And I was like, <laughs> I, it was like a weight had been lifted. I didn't miss one thing about that gig. I didn't miss the money I got. I made more money the next year. I didn't miss the time. I didn't miss the people. It was just like, uh, yeah. you know, one of those. Trust uh, your we were, gut. You got to go with yeah. your gut. I, I yeah. had a horrible experience with one student. Um, again, no naming names, and <laughs> but it was one of the few students I've ever actually like literally fired because I, I went to the house and I, I was teaching the lessons. And when I got there, I'd look at my watch. Okay. It's one o'clock. And I would go down and teach and I would then look at the clock on the wall. And when it said two o'clock, I would leave. <laughs> that's yeah. that's how a one hour lesson works, right? So anyways, um, one day the kid got up to go to the bathroom and I still less, I still ended the lesson on time. And the dad came down and got super mad at me. It should go longer. It's not my fault. He had to go to the washroom. And I'm like, well, it's not my fault either. I mean, it's, it's not really a big deal. He's like, well, you know, it is a big deal. You leaving five minutes early every week. And I was like, what? And I was crushed about this. I, I couldn't understand how this could happen. And I, I thought, well, maybe he's right. Maybe I'm just, maybe my clock. Anyways, 
I beat myself up about this the whole weekend, feeling really guilty about myself. And this guy, the way he attacked me was really, really inappropriate. But I went to the next lesson at the house and I realized that his clock in the basement was five minutes fast. So... <laughs> It wasn't, I tried to explain this to him on the way out. I said, look, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but like, this is, this is not my fault. <laughs> and there was the, the way they responded though, was just so inappropriate. I was like, look, this has to be our last lesson. I'm really sorry, but like, clearly this isn't working out. And, um, you know, I, 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 and I thought to myself, you know, the time I spent beating myself up about that situation was clearly time I could be spending better, <laughs> you know, right. but, um, and that's an example of, that's not an ideal client. Like an ideal client to me would say, Hey, you know, well, first of all, they wouldn't be completely you know by the minute like this but be like hey you know is there a discrepancy between our clocks because to me it's only you know <laughs> yeah. just you know just be nice about it have a i'm a nice person i, well, I hope so and i want to have a conversation i don't want to be you know it was a really weird experience yeah that's and and that's the thing it, it can be so emotionally draining like the the look at look at what what percentage of the people that you work with clients is a great way to think of students percentage uh and, and gigs you play are 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 like sending out negative energy. You know, you yeah. probably got like 5% that's, that's contributing like 75% of your anxieties and frustrations. And just like, I've had some real challenging student parent situations over the year. And, and I had someone I was teaching public school too, which is tough because I couldn't, I couldn't fire them. <laughs> yeah. they were, um, but it, it, it's, it's amazing. You, I would never realize how much energy I was spending or time thinking about, you know, a certain person or a certain gig until they were out of my life. And then it was yeah. just like, I was like, wow. Well, um, if I could add a bit of another book, I hate to drop like 50 books per episode, but there's one called getting to yes by William Yuri. And it focuses a lot on like, when you have an argument like that, um, you want to make it emotional because you care about your teaching, you care about your music, you care about what you do, but it's not emotional. You just have to focus on what is the result you want from this conversation and just yeah. stick to that, you know, and it's, it's super kind of straightforward then that way. But, um, and another piece of advice for those people who are kind of in this sort of level two right now, um, I know that one of the hard things for musicians is to connect music and money, but you have to if you want to make a living at it, right? So um, one thing I did with great success is I had, um, I offered people at the beginning of the year to pay for their lessons with a small discount entirely at the beginning of the year. Um, and it was amazing to me. I think that nine, I think I had 10 students that year and nine out of 10 of them did this. And it was crazy because I had a huge paycheck in September. But the thing that was really great about it is people were much less concerned about like the nickel and diming element of the weekly or monthly invoice, right? And also they were much less likely to miss lessons or care if they missed lessons. And what I mean by that is like, of course they should care if they miss lessons, but they wouldn't come after me for the money because they would, it would be more kind of, the music and money weren't touching as much. So they, they yeah. knew that they paid for 40 lessons for the year up front and it's already been paid. So if they didn't show up, they're not going to come. It's not like I'm going to be billing them at the end of the month and have to have this conversation again. It doesn't matter. <laughs> They've already put it out there. And it was such a great way to separate the two. And I loved it because I gave them a small discount. But the time I got back, not doing 10 invoices weekly or monthly was huge, huge time savings. And uh, I felt much, much better doing it that way. Yeah, I think people who who make uh, their teaching a substantial portion of what they do. Uh, talking to a really good friend of mine, uh, cello teacher in the Washington D.C. area, he's done that for years, and he it's like it's it it's yeah tr everything you're describing, uh, you know, in terms of just sort of like making it. It just seems to make for a better better. Uh, 
situation in general and that that like they're your cl- client coach client teacher kind of kind of like relationship i think i think it's a great way to think of it uh i always tell my my students or the parents of my students like like you're you're getting access to me my my library my resources my knowledge my recommendations so it really is a relationship that extends beyond that you know, that hour, not that I want, not that they're calling me every single day. And I have had some parents like that. So you got to watch out for that, but it's like something we're in this for the long haul. Um, and yeah, if you're as, as long as you're smart about, uh, budgeting out that money, that wad of cash you get at September and and making (laughs) sure you get it, you know, um, it can, it can be a great way to, to work. Well, and for me too, it's a a bit of a red flag too, for non-ideal clients, because I want people who are going to commit to the year or yeah. at least I, I think I did it. The minimum time was quarterly. Like I understand not everyone can pay <laughs> the entire year, but, but like the minimum is quarterly just cause it saves so much time. And it also shows commitment. Yeah. You know, it shows commitment and respect for time on their end too. Cause a lot of them are like, Oh wow, this is great. I can save paying you three times. I can only pay you once, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it really yeah. sets the bar for the ideal client as well. So well, Jason, this has been another great conversation. Um, again, I feel like we could talk all day or all afternoon or, all week or something like that. So it's probably good to, uh, to have a time limit, but, um, yeah, I definitely hope to have you back on the show at some point. And, uh, as your YouTube channel grows, I hope to follow it and I encourage all Clarinet listeners to check out your website at contrabassconversations.com and you can stream the Contrabass Conversations podcast anywhere you get your podcast, which we learned was Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, I guess, Apple podcasts now, Google play yep. the whole, the whole nine yards. So you got uh, it. Yeah. Anything else and, you'd like and, to add and, before we close? Oh, well, well, and I just want to thank you for, and, and, and folks listening to this on, on my podcast, clarinate.com. Sean does amazing work. Uh, I, I enjoy the episodes not being, I, I think one of the, one of the great secrets of what we both do is even though we're talking about, about, our instruments in that world, the, 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 what we're talking about extends way beyond just that instrument. So you, you would have, you'll have a great time listening to that. And Sean really mixes it up in terms of like episodes, like, like episodes on even the life changing magic of tidying up. I think you had one. Did you recently. check that one out? Oh yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. I love, I love dipping in and, and seeing what you got going on. So clarinate.com, check them out and anywhere you get your podcasts as well. Uh, you can find that. Great. And for those of you listening on iTunes or Google Play, this will mark the end of the episode. But for those listening on Patreon, we're going to head over and do the lightning round questions with Jason here right away. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you next time or in the members section at clarinet.com. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Clarinet Podcast. Don't forget to head on over to YouTube and subscribe to the Clarinet channel because I'll be doing a mystery box unveiling at 2,500 subscribers and we are currently halfway there. So every subscriber counts and I do appreciate your support. Watch for some new video content in the new year. I'm going to be doing, especially after these conversations with Jason, I, I really feel that that's the direction I want the podcast to be going in. I've known it for a while, but man, those videos take a lot more work than podcasts and podcasts themselves 
themselves take a lot of work as it is. Special thank you to our sponsors, Bakun Musical Services. You can get a 10% discount on your next accessory purchase by using code Clarinet at checkout. That includes the new Vocalese mouthpiece, any of their barrel products, and their bells. And you know what? You'll be surprised how much difference these products actually make on your instrument. Also, check out D'Addario's new line of Evolution, Reserve, and Reserve Classic Reads. And you know, one of the things I love about these is you can actually get them in sampler packs. So if you're not sure whether you want to go with the Classic or the, the Reserve Classic, you can get a, a group of four. I think they're about $15 Canadian, and it definitely saves you from having to buy, you know, four different boxes of reads to find out the one that's your favorite. So check them out at your local music store or head to clarinet.com reads to buy a box right now. And our newest sponsor is Encoda. You can check them out at encoda.com. That's N-K-O-D-A. And, uh, or search them on your app store if you're a Google or Apple device. It's kind of like a Netflix, but for sheet music. And it lets you practice, perform, and annotate your scores right on your device for a monthly subscription fee. You can get a 30-day trial at encoda.com right now. That's N-K-O-D-A. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Clarinet Podcast.